0: Welcome to the James Spinner Show podcast. Whoa. Okay. Who, baby? All right. So full full transparency here. This is the second time I've done this. Uh, the first time was outside, and between me, you, and the camera, I legitimately almost had a heat stroke. No, no I'm not even lying. Like I'm not even messing around. I was doing this. And I was outside and I was like, man, it's kinda hot out here. Like it's, it's a little it's a little warm. But whatever, we'll do the podcast. So I'm about, I don't know, ten minutes into the podcast, and I feel sweat just like rolling down me. And I'm like, man, this ain't this isn't good. You know, this this ain't good, man. I don't I don't need to have sweat. Like I don't need to be coated in sweat, especially if I might have another forty minutes if I go an hour, you know. I I never know how long these are gonna take. And so I'm fighting through it. I get to about the 18-minute mark, and I catch a glimpse of myself in the laptop. And I am, like, glistening sweat. I have, like, beads of sweat, obviously, on my forehead. And um, I, I I knew I had at least 35, 40 minutes left, and so I had to pull the plug. So I had to pull the plug. I had to get the hell out of there. I had to... You get from outside, so I'm happy to be inside. I'm happy to be not sweating to death. And so we're in the old studio setup, and it's it's pretty scuffed. If you can see around, we don't have the studio lights in here. Um, we have we have the, the salt lamp, so we got a little, we have the old a, a different chair. We don't have the old chair. Uh, if you are listening, then none of this matters. But and the tripod setup is less than ideal, so I may not even be I may not even be centered. On the camera, it doesn't. It does not look like I'm centered. So that'll that'll be a thing. But at least we have, at least we have said podcast. The James Cometa Show podcast is brought to you by McHard McHard Anderson and Associates PLLC, our presenting sponsor. They uh, have been our sponsor for the past couple podcasts and will be our sponsor for the past, for the next few podcasts, next many podcasts, really. So you'll hear more about their services. Later in this show. Remember, you can find this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, then this is information for you. If you're listening, you already know this information, but this podcast is available on Stitcher, Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere that podcasts are sold. Ours is sold for free. If you enjoy the podcast, if you listen to it, if you, you know, even a couple minutes, and then that's it, throw a review down itunes five star reviews they do wonders for the show they do wonders for visibility they are a big damn deal when it comes to finding the show some people get confused they think they have to rate every single episode only rate the show once do your five star once and that is good enough and it helps us climb the charts i feel like i just ran a marathon i mean we, we were only out there for 20 minutes and I, I, I'm exhausted. I had to change shirts. I had to change shirts. I was wearing a green shirt um, before, and I had to change shirt. I had to towel myself and change shirts. It was brutal. So, taking a big, deep breath, and we're going to continue on with the podcast. Woo, Ladies and gentlemen, how the hell are you? How are you doing in quarantine? How is quarantine life? Um, Pretty soon, I'm just going to quit saying quarantine life. Pretty soon, I'm going to just say life. I'm going to say, how are you doing? Because it's getting closer and closer to where there is no difference between quarantine life and life. It's all just one thing. I mean, even right now. So I did the math before the show. I've been in quarantine, self-isolation, shelter in place social distancing, however you want to phrase it. I've been in this for 33 days and I was I was pretty late to the party and um, just just because of like my work guidelines and stuff like that. So a lot of people are way ahead of me. A lot of people are way further into this than I am. So some people are in the like 45 50 day mark. And if you listen to media or if you listen to our governmental officials, if you listen to to those folk, they're making it sound like this could last into 2021. This could last deep. And we're, we're already kind of getting to the point to where I know for me personally, when I, I've already kind of got a schedule. I've already kind of got my own routine through this, through this whole thing. And some things are becoming less of, okay, well, I'll just do this for a few weeks and then we'll get back to it. And it's becoming more of like, okay, well, maybe this is just real life. Like Maybe this is just my life now. Maybe this is just how I see things, how I do things, how I operate things. And there's little baby things, for me at least, that happen like all throughout the day where I stop myself and I kind of wonder, will I ever revert back? Will I ever go back to how things were? And I think there's a lot of things like that. I think there's a lot of things that a lot of people are doing where it may become their life, and it may become the way that they view things, and I'll give you some examples. Um, yesterday, I was on a bike ride. I went and biked a while, uh, thirteen miles. It's not a competition, okay? I, I don't need applause. I don't need you know. I don't. I don't need uh, glory. I don't do it for the glory, okay? I do. I do it for the kids. But when I was on my bike ride, I was you know thinking about the podcast and thinking about what topics we were going to talk about and. You know, some things that people had requested that I talk about. And so I was kind of playing it all in my mind. And when I was on the bike ride, I was, you know, I go down the beach. I go down like a boardwalk and I just kind of go through a city and, and, and all that stuff. So, and I saw a bunch of people running. I saw a bunch of people walking. I saw a bunch of people on the beach. I saw a bunch of people just kind of out and about. And they were all kind of doing the same thing. You know, we're all doing the same thing right now. We're all fighting for something. You know, we're all fighting for some fresh air or just some, some sun or just get out there and you know, do something, some exercise, just something at all. And I was looking around and, you know, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this. You know, I know, I'll keep biking. I'll keep running. I'll keep doing things like that. And I thought about the gym. I thought about my old habits of the gym where I would go to the gym. I would go to a physical place five days a week, six days a week, whatever it was. I would actually get up, get dressed, drive there, park, go into the gym, hang my keys up, use their equipment, whatever. And I thought, you know, I said, maybe I don't know if I'll ever do that again. I don't know if that will be a thing for me moving forward. And it's not so much of the gym, it's just so much of these kind of societal things that were in place, these societal things that we relied on without having access to them, part of me realizes, I guess, the convenience or how nice it is to do have those things kind of on your own. Instead of going to a gym, having a gym membership, paying to be around you know, to have all that equipment, a giant room you probably don't need that much of. To share the equipment with people who are sweating all over and breathing all over and touching it. And, you know, you're, you're in that world. Instead of that, to me, it's more convenient and a bit less of a hassle to just have a few things at the house, be able to get a workout in at the house, and then to go run outside, bike outside, or even if you have a treadmill or something at your house. So I wonder if more things will be like that. I wonder if... Things like restaurants, you know, people are. I know restaurants will always exist, but it, 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 the, the question is the use of them. You know, people are so used to right now, kind of cooking on their own or getting their own food together or getting their own meals together or eating eating certain things. I wonder if that will just flip. You know, we're getting into the point now to where this is kind of life. And the old way of doing things is further and further away from being quote-unquote normal. And I'm interested to know what things in your life, you you as the listener, you as the viewer, what things in your life have you noticed are probably going to stick with you? I'll give you another example of something else that's sticking with me, is the idea of kind of being self-sufficient. Now, I'm no no outdoorsman. I'm no hunter-gatherer. I don't have a pair of Carhartts. I don't have overalls. I don't have gardening gloves. I don't have any of that stuff. But recently, I've been doing a lot of research into gardens and beehives and chicken coops and stuff like that. It's not even... It isn't isn't a doomsday prep kind of idea. It isn't that ideology. It's not the... End of the world is coming. I need to live on my own farm, kind of thing. It's just a, what do I need to provide for myself instead of relying on, kind of these societal things. And of course, for some things you will need to rely on. You know, like if you live on an apartment or something, you you can't have chickens, you can't have cattle. So of course, you're going to have to purchase some things like that. You know, undoubtedly. But if you have the ability to, should you be self-sufficient in something? I think that's something that we'll see come much more into vogue. Is this idea of being self-sufficient. This idea of being, kind of being able to not go off the grid, but just to be able to kind of provide. And that's something I think I will be doing. That's something I could definitely see myself moving towards in the future is this idea of self-sufficiency, this idea of um, kind of of altering kind of how my setup is and kind of how my life is. And that's something that this quarantine for me has done is it's opened up my eyes, I guess, to we have so much time and we have so much time now because we're not there is no hustle and bustle. There is no get up, get dressed, drive somewhere, park, get this, drive somewhere else, do this, drive somewhere else, go home. You only have a few hours here. Now we have almost an abundance of time. And people people have trouble filling that time. And you see people right now <clears throat> struggling, and they've been struggling mightily through the quarantine of how to fill the time. And for me... I've always just wanted more time. I've always despised the nine to five because I look at it as eight hours of my life, a third of my life, two thirds of my life, really. When you count sleep as the other third, you know, two thirds of my life, I'm barely present for. You're sitting in a cube or sleeping. So I've always just wanted the time. And now that I have the time, it's I have, I reflect on what I'm going to do with the time and what the best ways of using my time. Now, some people this doesn't ha- some people this is not this doesn't even matter because some people are still going to work. Some people are still living kind of a normal schedule in quarantine, and I totally get that. I totally get that. <clears throat> I understand. But there's a lot of stuff like weekends or something where I've, I've seen people. Who are living a kind of a normal schedule? They'll get to the weekend part, and there won't be anything to do. You know, like, there's no difference in it being a weekend, and they and they hate it. You know, they're they're like, I want to do something. I want to go out. I want to, I want to have my weekend. It's just so much time. It's so much empty space, and it sounds simplistic. It really does. But during this time, it's almost like we're kids again. It's almost like we've reverted back to that kid. Mindset where you can just kind of do whatever you want. You can learn an instrument. You can learn a different language. You can take up a hobby. You can do whatever. You know, it's like it's like when you're a kid, and you get off school and you have. You know, when I was a kid, we had to go play outside, and we would get home from school and we would immediately go outside, and we would play outside pretty much until dinner, or pretty much until. Like if you had a TV show you watched all the time, you, you'd you go play, then you come inside, you watch the TV show, eat dinner, and go to sleep. So it's kind of like that where if you're working, right now I'm working remotely. If you're working, you work those hours, but then afterwards you're kind of in this kid mode where it's like, what exactly do what exactly do I do? And all of the normal things in society are kind of stripped away. And it's just it's It's moving towards what, like, it's moving towards this is normal. And I know we've said it a lot on the podcast, the idea that this is the new normal, but it's really kind of coming to fruition. And it's just something I think is very interesting to reflect on is what, what do you think you will come out of this? What will change in your life coming out of this? What is something where you look at it and you're like, "Ah oh, yeah, that probably is not going to be a thing." Uh, me and my friends were joking around with the idea of Subway and these ideas of like sandwich shops. And it's so crazy because it's such a common thing. If you look back 8 months ago, there was a Subway on every corner. There's a Subway attached to every gas station. Now imagine you going into a food place and ordering a food and watching some stranger Make your food, like, make your sandwich just, like, handfuls of spinach, thrown on some bread. They're slabbing mayonnaise on it. You know, they're, they're oh, you want some uh, green peppers? Dunking their hands in the green peppers, sl- throwing it on your sub, wrapping it up, and handing it to you. Then you taking it and eating it. And you're going to say, well, they're wearing gloves. Well, yeah, but kind of. Like, they're wearing gloves, but then they're touching the bottles of, like, mayonnaise and stuff. You know, like there, there's a lot of interaction going on that the gloves don't really matter. Obviously, it's better to wear gloves, but I'm just saying it's not like the, the most pristine situation in the world. Then they're taking money. You know, are they wearing their gloves when they're taking money? If not, you know, they may take the money without the gloves, do something else, and they may touch the tubes like the mayonnaise tubes or touch the, the plastic covers. Then they put the gloves back on. You know, like it, it's all over the place. It's hard to imagine those things existing. It's hard to imagine someone doing that. It's hard to imagine someone doing the sub thing, you know. And I've heard a lot of, right now the date being thrown around is 2021. 2021 for like Los Angeles, New Orleans, for mass gatherings. And that's so far away. 2021. Let's just say January 1st, 2021. Could you imagine going through this quarantine, going through this shelter in place, going through whatever it's called? We'll just call it the quarantine. Could you imagine going through the quarantine until 2021? It's been 30 days for a lot of people. Now imagine tacking on the rest of April, all of May, all of June, all of July, All of August, all of September, all of October, all of November, all of December. Nine months of this lifestyle. Nine months of all of this. That is, you talk about the new normal, that is bananas to think about. That we could be doing this for nine more months. Now, I don't think that's going to be a thing. I don't think it's going to be a thing. I think what you're going to see, I think you're going to see in June, maybe the beginning of June, you're going to see people start to go back to work. You're going to see people start to start to go back to businesses, and you know, like some businesses, you're going to start to see pretty some normalcy kind of showing up, and then you're going to see slowly you'll see mass mass gathering start back up, and then at the new year. It may be like a full-fledged, you know, reopening type deal. But I don't know if this society can exist if we go until 2021. If you look at it, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of places that are just holding on. They're open. They're employing people. But it's like only because they think it's going to kind of be over in the next 30, 60 days. If you tell, if you told the world we are not doing anything until 2021, I think a lot of places would just shut down. And that, and you talk about like it's already an unemployment spike. If something like that were to happen, you are talking about unemployment. Like we, we would be jumping back. To, you better be self sufficient because there would be no other choice if that happened. You would be jumping back so far in time to where it's Little House on the Prairie. People are washing their clothes in a, in a bathtub. People are hanging their clothes on the, On the, you know, there's chickens walking around the backyard. You got a family pig. Like there's, there, it's a whole different place. It's a whole different universe in that, in that setting. Stuff just will not exist if we do that till 2021. Now, what I think is the this the move, what I think is the vibe is I think that people we I think successfully we have flattened the curve. We have taken the necessary precautions to flatten the curve a little bit. And some people are still contracting the virus. And if you are contracting the coronavirus right now, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing right now? I understand if you got the virus in you know, February, we didn't even know what the virus was. If you got the virus in January, yeah, I didn't know what coronavirus was in January. Absolutely not. I can see if you got it in February. If you get the coronavirus in April, what are you doing? Are you licking doorknobs? How in the world are you just now getting the coronavirus? You do not want to get the coronavirus right now because it's so embarrassing to get the virus right now. Von Miller, the Denver Denver Broncos linebacker, he just got the coronavirus last week. The first NFL player got it last week. Guys, do y'all do y'all not have a TV? Do y'all not know what's happening? How could you possibly contract it right now? Like I don't understand where I live in Mississippi. So there was 300 new cases announced on Sunday. 300. None of them were on the coastal counties. They were all in the sticks. What are these country bumpkins doing that 300 new cases? And then it's like, well, maybe they're getting tested. They're not getting tested? Trust me, the last thing happening in Mississippi is any kind of testing, especially up in the Delta, especially up in Middle Mississippi. You think these guys are testing? The doctor up there, the doctors up in Middle Mississippi, this is their test. Hey, man, you feel kind of stuffy? That's the test. Hey, you coughing? Like, you ever seen the videos of the doctors who, like, have, like, a toolbox, and they go house to house, like, they do house visits? That's still happening in part of Mississippi. All right, let's be honest here. So I don't think the the situation is they just got a bunch of tests. I don't know what these country bumpkins are doing, but the fact that there's 300 new cases makes me a little concerned. Makes me a little concerned. But what I think is going to happen with the 2021 thing we have flattened the curve. We have successfully done that. So let's say we tackle another two months and we go, so middle of May, middle of June. At that point, the virus should be pretty much pretty much done, I would think. Anyone that's going to have it has probably already had it. And there may be some trickle-down effect of people people kind of getting it. But it's hard for me to imagine people just continually getting it at a very rapid rate. Two months down the road. So, in the middle of that, like I said, probably June-ish, I could see people start to go back to work. I could see people start to kind of get back into it. And at that point, it's like, look, the virus is already rare. Now we're months down the road, so it's even more rare. So if you get it at this point, you know, it's just kind of bad luck. Just kind of just kind of t- tough, tough luck of to the draw is how it would be. Now, mass gatherings, yeah, I think, that, I think we could be a little far off from that. I would guess mass gatherings start to kind of appear again in like the August-September world. And then we just go from there. Now, if you're immune deficient, if you're someone who has diabetes or has cancer or has the AIDS, you know, if you, if you have something going on, you might need to take an extended break. Like if you have AIDS, well maybe not AIDS, but if you have some kind of you know immune deficiency, maybe stay out of the gyms for a year. Maybe don't go on a cruise ship for a year. So I think that that could be possible. I think that idea of mass gatherings could definitely be possible, where, where people are taking precautions for a long time, depending on their own personal situation. But I'll tell you right now where the buck is going to stop. The buck is going to stop at the NFL. The NFL does not lose to stuff like this. The NFL is just completely immune to issues and problems. The NFL and Roger Goodell, September, I'll make a bet with you right now. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the NFL, the first week of the NFL is playing games in front of people. Guarantee you, if if the NFL opens up week one and there's no one in the stadiums, I will be shocked. The NFL stole a day of the week, and you know who they stole it from? God. They own Sunday. How many times have you been in a church and the priest has given his homily and he said it's like eleven o'clock mass? How many times have you heard a priest say, uh, "Okay, we're going to have a quick homily because the saints are playing at noon"? Uh, all right, we're going to have a quick, uh, quick mass here so we can get so we can go home and watch the Cowboys game. How many times have you heard that? A lot. Okay, the NFL is king, and it sounds ridiculous because it's just a game. It's just a sport. Not not all sports are like that, but the NFL is something bigger. The NFL represents life. It represents the the American lifestyle. Sundays are for football. Monday night football is is a thing. It's not like the bats are coming on Sundays. Even if you don't like football, it's still present in your life. It's just this weird thing that is parallel with kind of how the American life is. Now, there is a very... Few people who are completely disconnected from the normal stuff of society. So, like if you're living, you know, if you're the Unabomber, you're living out in a, a remote cabin in Wyoming or Montana, yeah, it probably doesn't affect you. But for 99.8% of people, the NFL is a seasonal thing. It is a, the rising of the sun, it is the setting of the sun, it is normalcy. The NFL ain't losing. COVID-19 is not shutting down NFL games. And if it does, we're going to get into a situation where the economy, life as we know it, society as we know it, will be completely shifted. Completely shifted. Let's just take New Orleans, for example. So the NFL starts in September. Imagine if New Orleans is not having mass gatherings and is not open all the way into September, Bourbon Street, all the bars, all the restaurants, and now the Superdome with the Saints, which you know, and then the the basketball team, the Pelicans and the you know, the, the Smoothie King Center, all of that closed all the way through September and October. At what point do you just close down the city and say, look, we're just not even a thing anymore? Like we we cannot exist without this. These are huge, huge, huge things. Huge billion dollar teams. I mean, the Pelicans and the Saints are both billion dollar organizations, and they're shut down. How many people work there? How many people are in, invested in that building? Well, I'm not even talking about people that work for the Saints. How many people work for the stadium? You know, how many people clean the the ticket counters, the the ushers, like those people. And then you actually get into the team. How many people work for the Saints? How many people work for the NFL? And then you talk about the ticket sales, and you talk about the TV deals, and and just everything. At that point, if we're in September, and the NFL, the unbeatable giant, the immovable object, if the NFL succumbs to COVID-19, and COVID was started in January, let's call it January. If COVID is still such a real deal, that the NFL season is not played in front of fans, and we go from January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, if COVID eight, nine months down the road is still so severe that we're not allowing people in stadiums, you have to wonder what will look like coming out of the other side. And what will be the other side? 2021, there is no way. No way. This economy will exist. This world as we know it will exist if we wait until 2021. That is so long. 2021. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. And there was a reason we started the beginning of the show with this. Imagine if you went until January 1st, 2021, and everything went back to normal. Just like this. Flip, flip the switch. And your work called you and said, Alright, everything's back to normal. Come on to the office. I think a lot of people would say, "Brother, brother, come back to the office. Everything's normal. I've been living this way for at this point, you know, almost a year. This is normal, Bucko. I'm not coming to the damn office. And more than likely, the office, the business, the corporate, the company, the corporation won't even exist. It's like a, it's like a restart. It's like someone pushed reset on the entire world. If we go until 2021." You might as well just say, okay, well, let's just try whatever the hell we want. Put in a, put in a universal basic income, put in, put in whatever. We're trying new stuff. We're just going to try completely new stuff in 2021 because the whole world's reset. That's kind of where we are if that happens, if we go that long. I mean, I personally don't think that will happen, obviously. I'm betting that the NFL will win this war. But if that is a real thing, it's hard to imagine where it's hard to imagine how we come out of it, okay. That's such a long time to be in this in this frame right here, and I'll tell you who you can't ask. You can't ask uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. This cat I just saw on someone's Instagram. I actually went and watched some of it. That Anthony Fauci is doing more radio and more podcasts and more videos than anyone on Earth right now. I couldn't believe this when I saw this five day, uh, three days ago, three days ago he was on the Breakfast Club. If you don't know what the Breakfast Club is, it's with DJ Envy, uh, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne de God. It's like a rap hip hop radio show. They talk about rap. They talk about mixtapes. Is Anthony Fauci about to drop a mixtape? What the hell is he doing on The Breakfast Club? Three days ago, Anthony Fauci was on The Breakfast Club doing an interview. Five days ago, Meg the Stallion was on The Breakfast Club talking about her, her tips for in the bedroom. And that's real. You can go on their YouTube channel. I went and looked it up on their YouTube channel to see what was, what was bookending Anthony Fauci. You went from Meg the Stallion's bedroom tips... Dr. Anthony Fauci talks about coronavirus. Dr. Anthony Fauci isn't worried about a vaccine. He's worried about chopped and screwed. He's worried about... He's, he's chopping it up with with, uh, with Charlemagne de God. Hey, Fauci, get your ass in the laboratory. What the hell are you doing? Fauci, we need a vaccine. We don't need the hottest mixtape of 2020. What I mean, this cat, if you YouTube... If you YouTube, we'll do it live. Let's do it live on air. I'm going to do it live on air. I'm going to YouTube Dr. Anthony Fauci. I'm just going to read you the shows that come up. So this is podcast history right here. All right. Dr. Anthony Fauci. I'm just going to type his name. I'm just going to do his name. So we have, all right, CNN's whatever, Gomeroy America, whatever. So we have, all right, a lot of this is old. Let's let's throw in, let's throw interview in there. Let's throw interview in there. Interview because a lot of this is like him like growing like his 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 life. Okay, he's on Conan O'Brien. He's on Conan O'Brien. He's on The Daily Show. He's on Pardon My Take with Barstool Sports. He's on the NBA.
1: Stephen Steph Curry and Dr. Anthony Fauci. What the hell is he doing? I mean, this guy, the, the combination of shows that this guy. YouTube channel. Fauci is everywhere. I, it, <laughs> film. Dr. Fauci speaks on plans for reopening the country sports. <laughs> I don't need to know what you think about Dr. Oz. We need a vaccine. Let's go to the Breakfast Club. Fauci. Okay. So we have Fauci. So we have the interview. Dr. Fauci interview. Montana in 15-year-long beef. Let's read a few more. Scott Storch talks Manny Fresh battle. Meg the Stallion shares her expectations in a row. Boozy Badass talks Corona controversy. Who the? Boozy just got maced at a JCPenney's
0: in my hometown and now he's being called for coronavirus expertise? Dr. Anthony Fauci and Boozy Badass? Are, who are these people? Are we in a simulation? Are, is this even real? Are we in some kind of damn. I mean, th- there's no way this is real. Fauci, brother, get off the shows. Get off the radio. Fauci. I mean, we're, Anthony Fauci is about to have a mixtape feature with 50 Cent and Fabulous and Meg The Stallion. That's how close we are. That's how seven de- the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is, that's where we are with Fauci. The 7 Degrees of Fallacy includes Meg the Stallion, Big Sean, and Boozy Badass. It is crazy, man. It is insane. But enough coronavirus talk. Another thing that's been in the news right now is this Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. Um, the first two episodes aired this weekend. It's a 10-part docuseries chronicling... Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the late 90s. And it's been pretty interesting to see the reaction. Pretty interesting to see people kind of... For a lot of people, this is the first time they're really seeing this stuff. So I was was 9 years old in 98. And I started really watching sports in 96. When I was about 7. And that's when I really first started remembering really caring about sports. Like watching every game... Having favorite teams, favorite players, wearing jerseys, stuff like that, and Jordan was was obviously uh the the main player in the NBA and in the world of athletics in the late nineties. You know, for me, it was the King Griffey Juniors, the Michael Jordans, the Tiger Woods, the Atlanta Braves, stuff like that were really popping off. So I remember seeing Jordan. And the Bulls teams in the late '90s, and and being a fan and having the jerseys and all that stuff. Jordan is a very interesting character, and I don't mean a character as in like a goofy character or whatever. I mean like a character as far as if you were writing a character, like a, like a like a story, just a per- he his his arc is very interesting, and I wonder just how. Jordan would be perceived if he was in today's day and age and I have a feeling it would not be very well Jordan is a great example of a not very good guy who is very very good at something and that's okay and this is kind of a bigger topic than just basketball but we're going. To, let me lay the foundation so Michael Jordan is considered by many the greatest basketball player of all time and is probably the most financially successful athlete of all time. Think about it like this. There is a silhouette of a basketball player on the shoes of people in sports such as baseball. The NFL. How crazy is that? Could you imagine if professional baseball players wore cleats with a silhouette of Tom Brady on them? It, 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 it's, he has transcended... The idea of athlete, or he has transcended the idea of the NBA. You know, you don't see people wearing LeBron James's shoes in tennis, but you see Jordan Brand in college football. You see Jordan Brand shoes. Derek Jeter, you know, wore Jordan Brand shoes in baseball. One of the greatest baseball players ever wore the shoes in his sport of the basketball player. So Jordan has transcended kind of everything. He's kind of a mythological creature at this point. But let me just remind you that Michael Jordan has an interesting past. And if you Google Michael Jordan stories, a lot of them are really unsavory. Michael Jordan was an unab- un- just like unapologetically surly individual. And a lot of his stories are pretty rough. There was a story. I won't read all of them, but there was a story where he was with an MTV VJ. I think she was like 22 at the time, named Kennedy, and he was with her at an award show. Russell Simmons was there, and he pulled out like dice, and they started playing dice at the table. And according to her, Michael wagered her her virginity. Michael was married at the time, but that didn't really matter. Michael said, "If you lose the dice game, I'm I'm gonna t- I can take your virginity." That is pretty close to the Aziz Ansari, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K. Like People are getting cancel cultured for stuff that Michael Jordan did. You hear stories of Michael Jordan punching players, like punching his teammates. You see in the documentary, you see Michael Jordan just dogging his, uh, his administration. Jerry Krause, you know, calling Jerry Krause fat, calling Jerry Krause short. You hear him talking about Muggsy Bogues. And you know he says he tells Muggsy Bogues shoot shoot it you effing midget, you know Mugsy Bogues was a five five basketball player. You hear stories of Michael Jordan cursing out people and ruining their whole their mindset. Muggsy Bose says Mugsy Bogues says that Michael Jordan telling him to shoot that shot, calling him a midget, him missing. He believes it ruined his career. He believes he never shook that. Charles Barkley, the story about Charles Barkley where Michael Jordan. Took him golfing. Gave him a $20,000 watch. And when they asked Michael why, Michael said that because now he won't get my way in the playoffs. He says he thinks I like him, but I hate that fat F word. You know, like that. all that stuff sounds so bad. And it is bad, right? And this is something that I've talked about for years. And if you can go back on the channel or on the YouTube channel and find old podcasts, and we talk about this with people like Greg Hardy, with people like Ray Rice and stuff like that. But sports, sports, I do not believe, should be a morality concept, contest. I do not believe that in order for you to be great, you have to be a high moral character. We are talking about a game. We are talking about you know alpha males most of the time in, in these leagues. Alpha males, against alpha males... Trying to be the best. So it does not surprise me when you hear stories about Michael Jordan. How he is this dominator, this killer, this just, really just kind of a bastard. And it doesn't surprise me that he used that as fuel to become as good as he was. If you go back and listen to Michael Jordan's halftime speech, and I, and I implore you, or not his halftime, his Hall of Fame speech, and I implore you to do so. Go listen to Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. You are talking about the greatest basketball player of all time to some people. I I personally subscribe to LeBron James being the best of all time. But you're talking about the greatest basketball player of all time getting into the Hall of Fame. This is a guy who's already won six championships, a guy who has done everything there is to do in the league, a guy who is virtually globally understood as being the best player ever, if not one of the two best players ever. And what does he do during his Hall of Fame speech? He takes the entire speech, the whole speech, his moment, to dog everybody that's ever wronged him. Go listen to the speech. I'm not going to play it on here, but he I'll tell you, who the first person he dogs is Jerry Krause. In the speech, he, tells, he says, I see Jerry Krause is here. I have no clue who invited him because I sure didn't. He talks about his eighth grade coach who cut him from the junior varsity team. Think about that grudge. This is a guy who has succeeded at every single level. Won multiple Olympics, won multiple championships, MVPs, final MVPs, has billions of dollars, has a global company. And he takes that moment to poo-poo people who doubted him in 8th grade? He talks about rivals. He talks about former coaches, former people who he does not like. And he lets everyone in that speech know that he still doesn't like them. It is a very uncomfortable speech. And it's something that I think you need to watch to really understand what makes Jordan tick. In that speech, Michael Jordan said thank you six times. Six times in his Hall of Fame speech for a Hall of Fame career. And you know who doesn't really care? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is not the type of athlete you see today. Michael Jordan is not interested in being a good guy. Michael Jordan is not interested in his own kind of positive appeal. Michael Jordan lived his life his way. Michael Jordan was a known gambler. A lot of people think that the years he took off of basketball to go play baseball was because of his gambling, and the NBA stepped in and said, Look, Michael, we're either going to suspend you, or you're going to have to figure something out. And so he took a couple years off. There is conspiracy theories that Michael Jordan's dad was killed Because of gambling debts. I'm not saying all this is true, but these are just things that cloud Michael Jordan. And you never really hear about. Imagine if LeBron James, at his peak of his powers, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about in the Miami Heat days. When LeBron James was God incarnate on the basketball court. Imagine if he would have said, I'm going to take two years off. I'm going to take a year off. Let's just say a year. I'm going to take a year to go play minor league soccer. How do you think that would be perceived in today's day and age? Today's day and age, people are so scrutinized by their social media. They're scrutinized by, I mean, we have people who, who literally a week ago were slamming Jeff Bezos, were slamming Elon Musk for not donating enough money. How do you think those people would have dealt with Michael Jordan wagering the virginity of an MTV VJ at an award show? How do you think that would have worked out? Tiger Woods' entire career was almost ended because he was having an affair on his wife. I got a feeling that Michael Jordan's VJ situation may have been worse than that. Michael Jordan is undoubtedly one of the two best basketball players of all time. I'm not taking that away from him. But it's a very interesting study to see. He was kind of the last person who got away with all that stuff that he did off the court and on the court you know you Charles Barkley tells a tons of stories where during the Barcelona Olympics Michael would be playing golf all day and he would play 30 forty thousand dollars a hole and Charles if you ever watch Charles Barkley's golf shot it's all screwed up Charles says that his golf shot used to be normal but he played under so much pressure with Jordan and he hated it that it gave him the yips. He basically has golf PTSD from playing Michael Jordan for $30,000, dollars $50,000 a hole. That exact same trip, the exact same trip, Michael Jordan and their coach at the time played golf. The coach beat Michael. Michael woke him up the next day, knocked on his hotel room door, would not leave until they went and played golf again so Michael could get his rematch. There are horror stories from Michael Jordan practices where the exact same thing happened. Where he would curse out players, punch players. He punched Steve Kerr. Michael Jordan was what he was because of his negative stuff. He used his negative. He used his hate and his anger and his vengeance. He used that to propel him to where he got. And it's just so opposite of who he who people are now. Like we hold people up to such a high standard. We cancel culture people who get DUIs. We cancel people who like seem to be aggressive towards women or men. We cancel people all the time. And Michael Jordan is held to this high esteem, even though he did things that today would be completely repulsive. And I wonder what his legacy would be today. And for people who... For people who didn't watch Jordan growing up and for people who are just now learning some of Michael in this 10-part docuseries, keep that in the back of your head of how do you think Michael would be t- today? How do you think Michael would kind of be seen right now? I think that's something that's that's, that's a bit interesting. I think the documentary is, is really good. And... um it it is a story a very interesting story just the idea of the bulls how the bulls came together the the issues with the team the organization you have a lot happening at the same time you have you know, the organization was was a disaster the nba was a was you know wasn't how it is now but then you had this one seminal transcendent person who not only carried the organization but carried the entire nba michael jordan When you really think about what he did, he made the NBA a global thing. He changed the NBA forever. He paved the way for people like LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, to kind of be these transcendent people who their brands and their their likeness were used all over the world. He saved the league. He, He was a superstar for the league, and he was the man for a new generation of people. And um, you know, all around him was dysfunction and issues. You know, he talks about cocaine usage and alcohol in the Bulls organization when he got there. Then you throw in the Scottie Pippen stuff and just like Jordan and Pippen's relationship. You know, Pippen being just criminally underpaid his whole career. How good was Jordan without Pippen? Vice versa, you have Dennis Rodman, who is his own story. We all know about Dennis Rodman's uh, career and antics and all that. I mean it really is a made for TV movie script kind of deal. And so getting a look into it is is really something else. I think it's fantastic. The first episodes were fantastic, but I you can't I just can't help think about Jordan and who, you know, he is. He's is a very different protagonist. He is a protagonist that is angry. He is a protagonist that is surly. He is a protagonist that is unabashedly competitive and he he wants to kill he wants to murder he wants to just end his opponents he doesn't want to win and shake your hand he doesn't want to win and hug you he doesn't want to win and congratulate you he wants to beat you and end you and turn you to dust he is thanos he is someone who hopes that once he beats you you never show your face again he hates you he hates your family he hates everything you ever stood for if you are standing in his way and if you ever did stand in his way he hates you forever And that's Michael Jordan. And I don't see a problem with that. I don't think sports should be equal to, you don't have to be a good person to be a good athlete. And a lot of the times they aren't. A lot of the times good athletes aren't. These are people who don't live the same life as everyone else. You know, They live in a world of dog eat dog, best are the best. You have to be the alpha in the room. You have to be overly competitive. You have to be obsessive. You have to be a bit insane to practice and train and do stuff like these athletes do. You have to be crazy to put forth the effort that Michael put forth and, and all these people put forth. You hear the stories of athletes waking up at 3 a.m. to go train for three hours. And then you know all the, all the things that they do, they're obsessed with winning. They're obsessed with the trophy. And When you really think about what they're obsessed with, they're obsessed with a trophy or an award for a game that children play. And it's oversimplistic to put it like that. But that's what it is. Michael Jordan obsessed with the NBA championship, obsessed with winning a basketball game. He's obsessed with something that people play in their driveway, being the best at that. There's nothing wrong with that. People are obsessed with all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm obsessed with with putting out this content, and putting out the best content possible, and, and breaking through and and you know realizing dreams. You know, I'm I, I understand, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be obsessed, but it's not surprising to me when some of the people who are in that world, the Ray Rice's and the Greg Hardy's and and whoever it may be, when those people are Lance Armstrong, you know Lance Armstrong obsessed with Tour de France championships, obsessed with with winning, obsessed with dominating and he cut some corners to get there. Does that surprise me No. No, because these people they they have tunnel vision. You know, it's very difficult to live that world and to live that alpha that that just dominant that, you know, for Michael to have that that mindset and to switch it off and to all of a sudden be a good person or to switch it off and all of a sudden be a family man and switch it off and all of a sudden be be kind and be generous. You know, so it is something to keep in the back of your mind while you watch the docu-series is who Michael Jordan really is and what makes him tick. And what makes these athletes tick? So that is something to to absolutely think about. And even to, even in today's athletes, you know, if you look at today's athletes, who are athletes like that? The Kobe Bryants. Kobe Bryant is obviously celebrated, and he should be celebrated, but he also was very Jordan-esque on the basketball court. He was a dominator, a killer, an assassin, and he made no qualms about it. He, he did not disguise or hide who he was ever. Him and Shaquille O'Neal had a terrible relationship. He threw jabs at Shaquille O'Neal. He on the court, you know, his practices were very similar to Michael. Teammates of Kobe talked about how Kobe would get in their face. Kobe would scream at them. Kobe would tell them they're trash. Kobe would dog them because they weren't playing to Kobe's standards. And Kobe didn't really care about their feelings. Kobe didn't really care about being a good person or being a good teammate in that moment. He cared about winning. He cared about dominating, he cared about feeding. Whatever that hunger was, he had that obsession he had with being the best, and that's what drives him to Olympics and NBA championships and, and all of his successes. So, it's one of those deals where it is a beast living inside of you, it is a demon inside of you, and sometimes that demon is both giving you the good and the bad. You know, if Michael Jordan didn't have that demon, would he have succeeded? Probably not. You don't get cut from your eighth grade basketball team and just have like natural ability to be the greatest player of all time. You think LeBron James was getting cut from his eighth grade basketball team? LeBron James on his eighth grade basketball team was being looked at in the NBA. His eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade basketball teams were being shown on ESPN. You know, so Michael Jordan had to overcome a little bit, a little bit of adversity, and without that, those dark, dark traits, maybe he doesn't do that. Maybe he doesn't do it. But guys, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor. Let me tell you a little bit about our presenting sponsor, MacHard MacHard Anderson, and Associates. These guys are the guys. These guys are who you want in your corner. I'll tell you that right now. These guys, my friends at MacHard MacHard Anderson, and Associates, they're stationed in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. They deal with... Insurance denials, eighteen-wheeler accidents, car accidents, termites—those pesky termites. Is there anything worse? These fellas right here—the only place in the state of Mississippi to deliver a seven-figure settlement. That's a—that's that, look between me and you, that's pretty decent. Okay, seven figures. People buy five-dollar scratch-offs every day to get half of that. And these guys are the only ones confident enough in what they do to deliver that. You know who their competition is? This is, how, this is how sad this is. Their competition, their competition will tell you to your face that they'll give you one call. That's all. One call is what their competition, that's their, that's their promotion. That, like, look at that. Balance that on a scale. You've got one guy, one group who says hey man we'll give you a si- we well, we can deliver we're the only ones that can deliver a seven figure settlement and then you look across the aisle at their competition and their competition's their promo is that it they'll give you one call you know who else gives you one call prison do you want your lawyers to be living and working under prison rules i don't think so okay absolutely not if i if i'm look if i got t-boned By some 18-wheeler, because he's had a couple Four Locos. And I mean the old school Four Locos. I don't mean the new Four Locos that are watered down. I mean the old school Four four Locos that I think they might have had heroin in them. I'm not going to lie. Old school Four four Locos had a little bit of heroin, a little bit of crack. Now let's say that guy T-boned you at a stop sign. Your legs crushed. Your legs are, are absolutely eliminated. You can't walk. You have a cane. Your life is different. You deserve some cash. You deserve a settlement. Now, who are you going to go to? Are you going to go to the billboard lawyer who tells you one call, that's all? I'll give you one call, Padre. I'll give you one call, my friend. If we can't figure this out in one call, then uh, sorry, bro. Or are you going to go to the group at McHard, McHard, Anderson, and Associates, who's going to listen to your call and give you some advice? They're going to listen to your situation for free. If you call them and tell them that you heard about their services here on the James Commetta Show podcast, and you tell them that James has sent you, first of all, they're going to put you to the front of the line. They're going to give you the red velvet rope treatment. Are they going to give you 25% off? Buy one, get one free? We're not doing that. That's billboard salesman talk. That's one call, that's all talk. What they're going to do is give you the best service possible. That's what they're going to do. It doesn't make any sense to me why any of those billboard lawyers ever get a phone call. Because all they're doing is they're preying on the they're 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 setting up a situation where they hope that in your time of need you're so frazzled you're so flustered your legs are so destroyed that all you can remember is that awful commercial they put on the TV that awful billboard where they're wearing so much makeup they're wearing so much cake so much putty on their face that they hope that all you can remember is those giant yellow block letters which is always you know. Which is always some insane number, anyways. It's like one eight hundred insurance, one eight hundred money, one eight hundred. That's all. One one call. It's not a game, you know. It's not a game. Your future, your family, your security, your finances are not a game. Do not put it in the hands of people who have prison rules, phone calls. All right, you're not trading a packet of cigarettes for for you know a service. You're not getting a jailhouse tattoo. Do you have a spiderweb tattoo on your elbow? Do you have ace tattooed on your neck? Do you have scissors tattooed on your throat? Well, th- well, then you aren't in prison. And if you aren't in prison, you don't need to be living the one-call lifestyle. The only place you should be calling once is a pizza place. And pizza places aren't handing out seven-figure settlements. Pizza places are handing out pepperonis. Pizza places are handing out supreme. That's what they're handing out. If you want the best lawyering, if you want the best legal advice, if you want a shot at the seven-figure settlements, if you want to take on the insurance companies, if you want to take on the termites, if you want to take on the 18-wheeler crashes, the automobile crashes, if you want the best people in your corner, I'm telling you this right now between me, you, and the camera. We're friends here. You listen to the show. I, I want to protect you. I would not have a service on my program that I don't fully believe in. Okay, I thought long and hard about setting up shop at a, at a red light and just and just hoping I get blasted by some Mazda Miata so that I can call my friends at MacHard MacHard Anderson and Associates PLLC. These guys are the real deal. They're the best in the business. I wouldn't tell you any. I wouldn't lie to you. So don't call these hacks. These one call. That's all chumps. These scuzzos. These hacks. I don't trust them at all call my guys at MacHard MacHard Anderson and Associates PLLC tell them James Cremetta sent you their phone number 601-450-1715 or you can find them at machardlaw.com that is m c h a r d l a w .com and make sure you mention my name to get you in the front of the line the red velvet rope treatment, the vip treatment, the shrimp cocktails, the, the champagne bottle treatment, that's what you deserve, that's what you want. Your life is worth worth way more than one call, that's all I'm telling you that right now. So thank you again to our presenting sponsor at MacHard MacHard Anderson and Associates. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the James Spencer Show podcast. I have sweated more today than I have in the past month. Um, when I tried to do the show outside, huge mistake. So I'm going to go get an ice pack and try and lower my body temperature because it's reached a level that I think is bad for my heart. So thank you again, guys, for listening. I really do appreciate it. Um, Every show is a blessing that I get to do this in front of all of you. And again, I say this all the time, but it keeps happening. The kind messages that I get from all of you The kind messages that I get are unbelievably supportive, and I really do appreciate it. So remember, guys, you kind of drive this show. You kind of do the show for me. And the topics that I talk about on here can be directly influenced by you. So make sure to reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube comments, however you would like to. Text message if you have my number. And let me know if you have any questions or if you have topics you want covered or if you want my opinion on anything that's happening in the world. Please let me know um, we are doing our best to put out a ton of content. The NFL draft is Thursday. We'll probably put out an NFL draft special before then. I don't want you know it's, I don't want to give you 45 minutes of my podcast and then another 45 minutes of NFL draft talk. So be on the lookout for that a little draft special, something like that. So let me know guys, what you want to see content wise on this show. Um, and hopefully whatever you want to see is not involved 90 degree heat. So, thanks, guys. Enjoy your week. More content for me to come. Thank you very much for listening. This has been The James Kometta Show.
1: Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah.